LWAG Talks is Lawrence Wilson Art Gallery's new podcast, bringing you insights and ideas with artists, curators, educators, writers, and more. We would like to acknowledge the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation and the Wandjuri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional owners of the land in which we live and work. We recognise their strength and resilience and pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. My name is Brent Harris and I'm the curator of Here and Now 20 Perfectly Queer at the Lawrence Wilson Art Gallery. And today I am joined by Benjamin Bannon, one of the exhibiting artists, to discuss his work in the exhibition Salvation Rainbow. Thank you for joining me, Ben. Thanks, Brent. Nice to see you again. (laughs) Nice to see you again too. So for your work in the exhibition, you delved into the personal archive of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Could you explain a bit about the origins of the sisters and their mission um, for those people who might not be um, familiar with them and how they came to exist in Perth? Yeah, sure. Um, So the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence are a worldwide group of um, self-proclaimed queer nuns. they're a charity, protest, activist, performance uh, organization, I guess, um, that started in San Francisco in 1979, uh, kind of informally. Um, and then they became, uh, they became an organization and kind of spread across the world as different organizations. The group have quite a rich history in Australia, actually. I believe the Third Order um, was, uh, came about in Sydney in the early 80s. Um, And of course, during that time is right right before, right on the cusp of uh, the AIDS epidemic. So uh, the organization has a very strong and rich history and relationship um, to, to AIDS in many different ways. Um, The group came about in Perth um, when uh, Michael Carley, who was a sister in the Sydney order, uh, actually moved to Perth uh, for for work or life reasons. Um, And he started started the Perth order. So I believe that was in uh, 1990 or 1991 um yeah the group the group i guess started out as maybe in western australia as with about five to ten members um and has kind of like expanded and contracted in number over its last 30 years of existence um and have kind of had i guess different goals um at different periods of their lifespan but yeah could you perhaps describe um, your work in the exhibition and how um, it kind of, yeah, Salvation Rainbow and how it, um, like what it looks like for those who are unable to see the exhibition, but also like the conceptual underpinnings of it and how it relates to the sisters? I guess uh, maybe I need to talk a little bit more about um, my research with the sisters before I can start talking about how I approach the work. Um, I think basically I, um, when I was researching, uh, basically the the group don't have like a formal archive. So 
um, in order to collate and collect the information um, for me to understand what it was about this group that I wanted to honor and how um, I got in contact with some of the sisters uh, past and present um, and I guess started conducting like interviews and collecting uh, source material. I guess the one of the key things that stood out to me um, was uh, a set of six satin habits called the rainbow habit, which is, um, I guess, like a ritual that the sisters bring out um, on or manifest on special occasions. Um, for example, like pride. So the rainbow habit is a term that kind of describes six satin habits, each in an individual color of the original rainbow flag. Uh, and each habit has a six meter long train. So it takes 12 sisters to manifest at a time. And I guess for me, this was like a really pivotal and key thing to focus on because for starters, it was something that all of the sisters, when I asked them if they had like significant memories um, during their time as a, as a member of the organization, almost all of them mentioned being a part of or wearing part of the rainbow habit at a period of time. Um, and for me, it also kind of uh, really embodied the kind of uh, um, embodied activism that the sisters live and breathe um, and a kind of camp occupation of public space, which is um, very signature to, to them. And I guess, um, yeah, promulgates a kind of joy, a joyous reaction. So I decided for the exhibition that the rainbow habit was something that was gonna like drive my work. Um, and I was lucky enough to borrow uh, Perth set of satin habits. I should say that another reason why I chose to uh, focus on this is that through these objects, the Perth order are connected very much to other uh, other sisters throughout Australia. So the rainbow habit is actually something that was started by the Sydney house. Um, and I think first manifested in the 2000 Sydney Mardi Gras. Um, the Perth set was also made for the Perth sisters by the Adelaide sisters who are uh, seamstresses. And so there's this kind of beautiful uh, connection to the other houses through these objects. Um, and it's also because it takes so many people to manifest, uh, different sisters have flown into Perth for, at different times to help, help it manifest in its full form. So, I guess um, as a way of kind of starting to memorialize um, the object and the actions that the object has, I guess, helped manifest. Um, I spent some time in the studio with the rainbow habit and um, started retracing uh, the gestures that made, made them. So I started kind of deconstructing the garments into garment patterns. The work in the show is made up of this series of garment patterns. Um, so the gown, the scapula, the veil, the train, etc., um, have all been kind of compiled into an illustration or a drawing. Um, 
And I guess what's interesting is like the patterns are very simplified um, for aesthetic reasons, but also because the garments are made by amateur sewers. And so they're not perfectly constructed garments. And I think um, the, the patterns in the show reflect a kind of amateur quality. Um, like they don't, they don't, they probably don't function. They might function under my logic and I could probably re-sew them, but that wasn't the point of the project. The work is very much about um, layers to do with the body. It's kind of like a gesture of retracing, which kind of has a relationship to the bodies of the makers and then in turn the wearers. Um, and also um, the viewer's body in the space. Um, the, the patterns have been recreated at a one-to-one -one scale. So they have kind of a direct relationship and direct correlation to the, to the body in the space. Um, and the work has also been finished in um, a really glossy two-pack enamel, which kind of reflects um, the body back at the viewer um, in this kind of gold facade. Um, so I should actually mention that the work is an etching. <laughs> it's an etching. <laughs> <laughs> if you go to the space, and I hope whoever's listening does, um, <laughs> they will find uh, approximately three by two meter um, etching into aluminium um, that's been finished in, in enamel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the paint also has like that like glittery quality um, when you look like super close to it, which is also really nice. Cause I know um, from that, from some of the documentation that you showed me of the sisters when they've worn the rainbow habits, they're like pouring glitter onto James street. Yeah. Pride. That's I'm glad you picked up on that. Um, yeah. The first time the rainbow habit ever came to be in Perth um, was at the 2010 pride parade and the sisters were leading the parade. And when they got to the end of James street, um, yeah, they poured buckets of corresponding colors of glitter. <laughs> um, so yeah, the the materiality of the work kind of like reflects, um, yeah, reflects that in a way. Uh, when we've talked about the sisters before, you've used the term serious parody to describe um, their actions. I was wondering if you could elaborate on this and both in terms of um, where the term has come from and how it's used to describe the sisters. Yeah, so the term uh, is something I came across in a text by Melissa Wilcox um, called Queer Nuns, Religion, Activism and Serious Parody. So it's a term that she's coined in this text from 2018. Um, and it's part of the sexual culture series um, from New York Uni. And um, it, it's basically been coined in relation to the sisters. So in the text, she defines it as a form of cultural protest where a disempowered group parodies an oppressive cultural institution while simultaneously claiming for itself what it believes to be an equally good or superior enactment of one or more culturally respected aspects of that same institution. So what that basically means in relation to the sisters is that they're enacting parodies of Roman Catholic rituals and figures such as nuns while also claiming in all seriousness to be an order of queer nuns. Um, so I guess how serious parody like differs from something um, like disidentification, um, a Jose Munoz term, 
um, like like straight up parody would be something that like a performance artist like Vaginal Davis, um, like their character Clarence, which directly parodies a, a white supremacist. <laughs> but like the sisters are parodying Roman Catholic nuns while also claiming in all seriousness to be nuns. There's like a sincerity there. Um, I guess they kind of, um, they have four kind of main arguments for why um, they're a larger group of, or, or while they're also a group of nuns. Um, the first is that they do the same work that nuns do, sometimes better and they're more fun. Um, <laughs> they have more moral integrity, uh, especially toward queer communities. Um, their work is spiritual or even prophetic. I think this is an interesting point and something I came across when speaking to the sisters is that you have this kind of spectrum of um, on one end, sisters who um, are atheist and um, and I guess the work is the work that they do is much more on the parody side. Uh, and then you also have sisters who have, um, I guess, been rejected by typical religious and spiritual organizations. Um, and I guess for them, the sisters are a way that they can kind of enact a spirituality while also being true to like their queer selves, um, which yeah. is kind of like a really interesting dynamic and broad spectrum of people that kind of participate within the framework of this organization. Um, yeah. Um, and then I guess the fourth is that the Catholic church has no monopoly on nuns anyway. There are lots of different type of nuns. Did you want to talk a bit about um, the techniques, techniques and processes you use to make the work? Yeah. Um, so I guess I, re I retraced the garment patterns um, of the works, which have then been kind of collated into a drawing or illustration that uh, kind of reflects religious iconography. I've been kind of looking at a lot of like proto-Renaissance work um, for my thesis. And um, yeah, I guess the work in a, in a simplified way starts to reflect compositions of that time, like a Masaccio kind of um, the martyr or the angel or Christ. Um, so I guess I'm like asserting um, the sisters back into the kind of abstractly back into the aesthetics that they appropriate. Um, and of course, like the, the gold finish of that um, reflects the kind of gold soup that, <laughs> that like figures are swimming in from paintings of that time, which kind yeah. of, I guess, like symbolizes a kind of um, divine unknowability um, in a lot of those paintings. The composition like starts to kind of speak to an ascension or something. And I guess as well, it's like important when talking about the materiality of the work is it's kind of like um, an exaggerated and abstract version of a plaque. So I guess while I was making the work, I'm really thinking about, uh, I was thinking a lot about the language of monuments or the language of um, the material language of remembering in public space. Um, and the sisters were of course like super influential in um, 
bringing the AIDS quilt to Perth tw- twice and also um, lobbying for an AIDS memorial to be built in Perth. And so I guess as well, it's like such a, um, we're seeing a lot in the media, people questioning the people and the places that have been memorialized in public spaces. Um, and so I guess um, the the etching is kind of also thinking about like queer figures being, being memorialized. Um, and so as much as like the work is a, um, uses the language of painting, it also uses the language of the monument um, in some ways. That's what made you um, decide to make this work um, and what sparked your relationship and connection with the sisters? Yeah, so my first uh, personal uh, experience with the sisters actually came about from a project that you and I did together um, last year. I think it was yeah. last year, yeah, <laughs> 2019. Um, an exhibition called Looking Now Anyone Here. And my work was about a glory hole that had been um, taken from a, a beat in the 90s, um, uh, a door with a glory hole on it, sorry, that had been t- taken from a beat in the 90s by a man called Neil Buckley. Um, and it had been donated to the West Australian Museum. Um, and so my work was responding to that and I got in contact with Neil. Um, and over the course of that project, I guess we kind of built um, a relationship uh, and and through that, I found out that Neil was the mother of Perth's order. So Neil's um, name is Mother Greta Amaletta of the Holy Vapors. Um, and I guess that was also a time where I was reading um, Melissa Wilcox, Queer Nuns, and I guess thinking about um, the orders that had been mentioned in that book and the ones that had been left out. So I was really, for me, because of Neil, I became really interested in what the sisters had done for Perth. I know that Neil had been the mother for 15, 20 years, but I also understood the organisation had existed in Western Australia before him. And so it was really important for me to kind of build a larger picture of what the sisters stood for and what they had done in in Western Australia. And so a big part of that was speaking to other members who had been part of the group at different times. And I guess what was really beautiful was that they not only had oral histories, um, uh, because I guess like the larger, the larger picture of this exhibition of this work is kind of like what histories have been recorded and how and where and it's like none of these things or very few of these things had actually been documented or archived and so um, a lot of the information either came through people's memory or through small artifacts like newspaper clippings or at one stage the sisters had a publication that they were like DIYing from someone's home and like it was really about like scrounging together all of these kind of clues from different people's lives I mean um as much as it's like easy to talk about the group as a whole they're also a very small organization and so it's like Mm. people's personal it was also personal like almost all of the sisters, well, all of the sisters had, had been affected by AIDS in some way. Um, a really key figure, 
someone who I spoke to quite a lot was someone called Ruth Marshall, Sister Agatha, who was one of the original members. And Ruth uh, worked at the Cedar Centre, which then became um, the Western Australian AIDS Council. Um, and so you either had a lot of people working in, in AIDS healthcare or people who had directly been affected by the epidemic. And so um, it was like, it was really beautiful to see um, the kind of really lived, truly embodied activism that, that they were kind of participating in and being quite loud about, um, which was brave anywhere, but particularly I imagine in Perth in the 90s. Thank you for joining me today, Ben. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, it's been a pleasure.